which is pretty accurate sibling behavior, like minus all the incest and stuff. I'd like to speak to the manager of Olympus, please. (laughs) (laughs) So we have just established the meter is a Karen. Greetings, travelers. Welcome back to Tales from the Enchant Forest with your animal companions, Buff and... Pharaoh, that's me. Our special guest today comes from outside of the Enchant Forest. We are excited to welcome Jessica Caravaggio, a PhD candidate at Queen's University in Canada. Hello, hello, Jessica. Great to be here in the Enchanted Forest. So happy to have you. I I don't know how you found your way here, but we were really thrilled that you got here. Just stumbling around, found my way into this forest. Now I'm hanging out with a bird and a fox. (laughs) It's the only place to be hanging out. Well, now that you're here, can you tell us a little bit about your research specializations and what story you've brought for us today? Mm. Sure thing. I specialize mainly in feminist literature and criticism, and that is why I have brought to you today a story about a complicated relationship between a uh, Greek god and a Greek goddess. So this is the story of Hades and Persephone. It's a Greek myth about the god of the underworld, Hades, and the goddess of spring, Persephone. So even though it's a Greek myth, the most extended version of their story was actually written by a Roman poet, Ovid, in Metamorphosis. So this means that uh, the names of Persephone and Hades in his myth were changed into the Roman variations. So Hades, as you probably know, is Pluto, and Persephone is Proserpina. However, because everyone um, pretty much knows Hades and Persephone, I think I'll be using their original names uh, when I tell this story. Fair, 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 fair. In Ovid's version of the story, he starts off by claiming that this song or poem is actually for Persephone's mother, Demeter. Her Roman name is Ceres. And by expressing his wish that this song will be worthy of Demeter. It might sound strange that this song is dedicated to Demeter instead of Persephone, but this story heavily focuses on Demeter's reaction to what happens to her daughter and her journey attempting to retrieve Persephone from the underworld. However, something still doesn't sit quite right with me about focusing the story on how upset Demeter is that her daughter was kidnapped, instead of on the actual person who was kidnapped and taken to the literal land of the dead. Um, You know, Persephone's the victim in this story, uh, um, presumably, but she doesn't really have a voice. She's kind of pulled between Hades and her mother uh, and her her own thoughts, her own opinions, what she wants. They don't really care really a lot about that, or Demeter especially doesn't care a lot about that. (laughs) Well, it seems par for the course that we have a female protagonist who doesn't say anything. We know she's beautiful and that's all we get about her. So it's actually an improvement that her mother's alive. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it is an improvement that she has two living parents. <laughs> I mean, it's debatable if it's great that her dad's still around, but, you know. <laughs> her dad, uncle. Yeah, we love that. Um, I think something Ew. that I've noticed about... <laughs> I was just going to gloss over it, not really say... <laughs> if we're going to start ewing the Greek gods and their lineage, we're going to be here a long time. I'm sorry, no Greek god shaming. Go ahead. No Greek god shaming. Well, I mean, a little bit, because the rest of this conversation is probably going to be Greek god shaming, but eh. <laughs> Just wait a hot um, minute, then we'll be there. <laughs> I was going to say that um, it seems like a lot of these stories that are out there, or the myths about Persephone and this specific incident, they almost always focus on her mother. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's a bit overbearing or if people are afraid of, you know, upsetting her and not writing about her in the story. 
the homework hymns are dedicated to different gods and it's weird to me that Demeter's story is about this specific situation like I feel like there are other things you can talk about her um I'm pretty sure she might have other stories to tell other things she's done true that um the kidnapping and the deal her mother makes with Persephone's father and Hades everything has to do with them and not with Persephone herself she never speaks in this story a surprise yeah (laughs) a surprise to no one (laughs) <laughs> it almost makes me wonder if she was very glad to be taken away to the underworld because her mom is just overbearing and makes everything about her. Yeah, I yeah, I, I yeah. like to picture uh, Persephone as that person who's super into like heavy metal and just really wanted to be God anyways, but we have just painted over that because Demeter's like, no, no, she's my angel. She was perfect. Exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. She has flowers in her hair. She can't be heavy rock. She's the person who goes away to college and is always too busy to come home. <laughs> yeah. For, for the holidays. I know, Mom. Mom, sorry. this is who I am now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as the story goes, Hades actually didn't go out looking to kidnap Persephone. Uh, instead, he left the underworld because he was worried about an earthquake in Sicily. And he went to check on the island's foundation, which is so cute. All I get Aww. is this image of Hades as a dad in khaki shorts with a tool belt. <laughs> He's going out to see if any work needs to be done on Sicily. He's like, you know what? It's my weekend. It's my Saturday, but we need we need help over here. I got you. Don't worry. I think it was also like he was taking Cerberus out for a walk as well and just like on a leash, just like so thrilled. <laughs> He's my buddy. He's going to help me. If you think about it, uh, his brother... Uh, Poseidon is the god of earthquakes, so he's just out there cleaning up after his relatives and being like, well, oh my gosh. might as well have a, a day good off. Point. Just a That's good a guy. good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But yeah, he's got to go clean up his brother's mess on his day off. Wait, 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 wait. Why is he doing that? Like, he's god of the underworld. What is, he wor- is he worried about, like, a hole in his roof, essentially? Is that what the deal is? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Know. He doesn't want anything caving in. I'm just going to think he's a good guy who's like, well, the underworld's a bit overcrowded. I don't really want more people here. Let's just go fix this before it becomes a real problem. Right. Well, also, like, you know, you don't want a rush in the underworld. You don't want, like, a lunch rush to happen. So you can't have this big natural disasters going on. It's going to kind of be a big influx of people. You don't have the infrastructure to, to handle all those cases at once. It's, uh, yeah. it, it's got to be difficult. It's a good landlord is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, basically. Just take care of the people below and above. He's a good guy. Yeah. So, uh, so while Hades is getting his DIY dad on, Aphrodite sees him in his chariot, and she starts talking to her little helper, Cupid, about how they're losing respect in heaven because they've been too soft lately. I don't know how the goddess of love can be too soft, but she's, she's, she's not happy about it. Her, her street reps, her street cred's not so good. Uh, so basically because they haven't forced anyone to fall in love and make a fool out of themselves lately, which is all they like to do. Um, and then she also points out how much power her and Cupid have because they can basically bring all these gods and goddesses to their knees, one little arrow, and they can make them do whatever they want. So in order to display this power and put some respect back on the Aphrodite name, Aphrodite asks Cupid to shoot Hades with uh, Cupid's arrow. And he's like a pretty big ticket item. He's like the ruler of the underworld. So Aphrodite's pretty sure that if I get this guy, that's going to be really impressive to all the other gods and goddesses. 
Uh, and it's a really interesting twist in the story because it implies that Hades is probably like he could be considered a victim because he doesn't kidnap Persephone of his own free will. He's under the influence of a love spell. So the one thing that makes him kind of the bad guy in this story is not really his fault. Aphrodite just messes with everything and always makes it worse. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Aphrodite, despite being the goddess of love, I think we see so many examples of her meddling with gods and literally anyone she can um, in what are known as her anger myths. I mean, the most famous mm-hmm. one is obviously the Trojan War, but you also have cases of Hippolytus, Atalanta, Halia, who face consequences of this crazy, angry god when she thinks she's either being ignored or that they're favoring someone else or just sometimes because she wants to. And I think one thing that always drew me into the Greek myth was how every god had a good and bad side. They weren't always just good or always just bad. I mean, you couldn't really root for anyone because they were all crazy. Um, but despite being capable of so many miracles and good things, they were always somehow cruel in their own way, but it was almost as an afterthought, because I doubt Aphrodite thought too much about this. I think she did it, and then she was like, all right, let's go on to the next thing. But I wonder sometimes if it's a power trip for her, because she's classified as the goddess of love and beauty of people just kind of overlook her, and so that Mm. makes her crazy angry, because she is more powerful. Because you have love, but then you also have Mm. hatred. And I think they come together because you can drive people crazy with passion, crazy with love. And I think Aphrodite really identifies with that because she's a literal nut job. That's the got to to do with it. (laughs) Either way, it's an incredible flex on Cupid's part. Oh, definitely. Incredible flex that he can just bring everyone down. Yeah. I was going to say that I guess it's kind of poetic in a sense that Aphrodite is kind of the like the most cruel, most mm-hmm. vengeful god because we consider, I guess, for humans, maybe a lot of us consider love, any kind of love to be like the best part of life, the most fulfilling part of life, the most important part of life. And then on the other hand, kind of Aphrodite represents the the highest and the lowest of humanity. So the 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 incredible like passionate and like uh, selfless love, but also the violence, vengefulness, cruelty. So she's kind of on both ends of the spectrum. There, she's so extreme either way. I mean, yeah, that that's a really good point. How she's the high and low. I feel like love is often classified as just like this romanticized thing if to you know to use the word romantic and <laughs> talking about love but it's kind of romanticized we see love as this perfect thing it's going to come it's going to make everything all right it's a band-aid to your life but i think the persian poets did it best when they said that love is really another side of madness um yeah. you see a lot of persian poets calling their heroes majnun which just means the mad one or mad like the mad lover because they recognize that love is so encompassing and so toxic sometimes that it just overcomes everything inside of you and you become kind of single-minded in your pursuit of someone. Um, And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what happens here. They're using these arrows to kind of drive people crazy and make them want something that they don't really want. But because they're not inside their own head anymore, they're not like in control of their own bodies or their own consciousness or wants, this is what they think they want. And it's kind of a really sad way of like trapping someone or imprisoning someone because they probably don't know that they've been under a spell. They just think that, okay, I love this person. Right. Cupid's love spell is like so effective. Uh, It it just makes Hades fall in love immediately with Persephone and he Mm -hmm. immediately rushes off in his chariot to find her. Um, So at this point in the story, Ovid kind of shifts to focus on Persephone instead of on Hades and Aphrodite and Demeter. The the POV kind of really um, shifts here a lot. 
she's just like happily picking flowers in this meadow. There's like a lake nearby. There's a river full of swans with these beautiful overhanging trees, everything covered in these purple and white flowers. This is like a paradise. And Persephone is the absolute picture of innocence, just picking this nice bouquet and enjoying herself. It's almost like Ovid is trying to create this image of someone who's the exact opposite of Hades in every way. But he's also trying to think like, like, how can I represent her to be so happy that Hades ripping her away? This is so terrible. Like, this is the most terrible thing ever, that he's taking her out of paradise into the underworld. Like, the dichotomy between themselves, but also between the places in which they spend their time and where they live, is supposed to be just so distant. I think the joke's on him, because I've always heard opposites attract, so this just seems like <laughs> it's going to work out. Yeah, good point there, Sparrow, yeah. Yeah, this reminds me of... a series i read um when i was younger it's called the mythomania and it basically just follows hades doing his everyday life you know trying to stay away from these heroes and these other gods and the story uh there's one that i always thought was called home phone home persephone because i didn't know how to say persephone you know (laughs) uh but i was like oh that's so clever but you know it was phone home persephone and it's just him trying to get her to call her mom as she like follows him around the underworld for ages (laughs) And it's it's kind of funny because in the in the story itself, they talk about how he's kind of like this closed off person and she's very chatty. So she's like the opposite to him in every way. And Aww. over time, he's kind of like, well, actually, I don't want someone as a partner who is the exact replica of me because then, you know, we'll clash heads. So I want someone who's an opposite like she is. Obviously, he can't make that choice here because he's under a love spell. But it kind of makes me think that because they're coming from two different worlds and they're mixing together, I feel like if they had genuine love, that would be almost perfect because they're coming at it from two different worlds, two different places, mindsets, everything. And he can give her a different kind of lifestyle than what she's had. And she can bring some of her springiness, some of her flowers, some of her joy into his life as well, into the underworld. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah, he... he takes her out of this place that she is happy and comfortable. So very quickly, Hades swoops down, snatches Persephone, puts her in his chariot, but a nymph who lives in the river sees Hades kidnap Persephone. And she tries to be a hero and stop him, but obviously she's just a little river nymph, and Hades is the god of the underworld. Not really a good call there. (laughs) It's sort of sad. He kind of just ignores her. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) You're level one facing the final boss right away. (laughs) For real. He just ignores her. He's like, yeah, whatever. And he opens a portal to the underworld at the bottom of her river. Like, so sad. She's like, stop. You can't go to the underworld. And he's like, "Um, okay, never mind. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And he and Persephone kind of just disappear down into the underworld. And what's funny is that the river nymph kind of just gets so upset and hurt that this has happened that she just dies. She's just like, oh. She feels so bad. Overdramatic. That's oh level of overdramatic no. I aspire to. Like, I just want to be like, I'm so inconvenienced by this and upset. I am just going to rest here forever. Turn me into a tree. He ignored her and she died. Realized she was about Aww. to die. And it was like, well, I can either fight you and you die that way. Or you could just die. I'll just see you down there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine being the one to tell Demeter that her daughter was kidnapped. I feel like I'd rather, in that case, like, turn me into a tree. I'll take eternity as, like, a wood spirit or something. I don't want to deal with this. The consequences yeah. of having to tell her would be crazy. And Nip was just a friend of Persephone and just wanted to hang out with her. And then he was like, oh, Aww. no. For the other world, my friend. I'll see you soon. <laughs> I don't 
<laughs> nymphs go to the underworld when they die. I think that's just for people. I don't know. I think what happens oh. is that she like she melts into the river. I think that's what happens with nymphs when they Does die. She depending on no, Aww. not sea foam because she's in the river. She becomes river foam. I don't know if okay. you ever heard of it. <laughs> as long as river it's not sea foam green, <laughs> it's river foam. It's river foam green. It's much nicer green. River foam green. Uh, it's just. It's, it reminds me of just like that. There's a creature in mythology that just. When it gets upset, it cries into a puddle, and then it escapes Aww. that way. So if you capture it, it just starts crying until it that's like adorable. becomes nothing but tears, and then it, it slips that's away so into the puddle. But it's like I'm like that's what I'm thinking of. I'm like she's just like I am going to just go away. I'm upset. I'm just gonna become a river. The moral of the story is cry away your problems, and you will just escape from them. That's how that works. Pretty much. Nymphs have yeah. so many problems. I, it's always worked for me before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the POV shifts again after this untimely nymph death, and it, we pan back to uh, Demeter, Persephone's mother. She was nearby the clearing, but she wasn't there, so she didn't see what happened. Um, but she notices that Persephone's missing, and she starts like frantically looking for her everywhere in the world. So I guess for some reason she doesn't really take a quick look in the clearing, you know, at the crime scene, and instead she just kind of goes everywhere in the world. And she's so upset about Persephone that this part of the story takes a weird turn. A kid laughs at her and she turns him oh! into a lizard. It's Good She's just writing. like so, she's so mad and like uh, uh, she can't think straight and she can't find her daughter anywhere. But eventually she has the smart idea to go back to where she was kidnapped. And she notices that a piece of Persephone's clothing is floating in the river. Specifically, her uh, her girdle, and a girdle isn't what we kind of know it as. A girdle is like a a kind of ribbon that you use to tie up your your Greek or your Roman tunic, kind of like the part that you tie on a bathrobe. Um, so this part is basically like the scene in the crime show where the cop finds like a piece of fabric that was conveniently left on the ground, and he suddenly has like a clue about the victim. And it's the lab. Maybe the boys can find something <laughs> off of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like it's starting to like Law and Order music here. <laughs> da, 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 yeah. She's like, let's go back to the scene. She bother asking anybody because, like, I think Cupid and Aphrodite would be happy to brag about this. Have, so, just did you not bother asking any gods? Like, I don't think the gods communicate very well. I think they need to go to family therapy for that. But I doubt if she went up to Aphrodite and was like, uh, "Do you know what happened to my daughter?" I feel like Aphrodite wouldn't just be like, "Ah." Eh. I don't know, because she, she was doing what she was doing in order to impress everybody else. I feel like in this case, it's more of like one of those things where you just do it, and then like that's gratification enough, because people will obviously just assume you did it, or you know it's enough for you to do it. I don't think that bragging about the fact that she you know got her daughter kidnapped is going to make her very popular, specifically because mm-hmm. Zeus is also Persephone's daughter. Um... Did but, she do this because she was losing face for some reason? Which, by the way, I don't think anyone ever thought less of Aphrodite. Like, thought, oh, she's gone soft. I don't think anyone's ever thought that before. <laughs> I think you meant to say that Zeus is Persephone's dad. You said Zeus is Persephone's daughter. 
which is not true. Oh, Zeus is Persephone's yeah, dad. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Reverse it. Um, you know, I think I think because Demeter is goddess of the harvest, goddess of agriculture, she might maybe stay more on Earth, and she doesn't visit heaven too often. And it even says in the story that she searches Earth. She doesn't search heaven. So it's possible that, you know, everybody upstairs kind of knows about Aphrodite and what she did, but everybody downstairs is kind of not, is, is out of the loop. Maybe if you don't go and visit the fam that often, you don't keep into the family go- gossip. Those are jerk relatives if I've ever heard For of. For real, like, <laughs> no one's going to call her and tell her what happened? <laughs> I'm someone that really likes variation in myths, and I specifically like the contrast between this story and the story that's told in the Homeric hymns. In that one, Demeter does go around and she does kind of ask people, like, where's my daughter? And there are two gods that actually see what happened. One is, uh, the most important one is Helios, and he was in the sun chariot in the sky when this happened, so he saw the entire thing unfold. And when she does go to him, he's like, all right, I mean, you're on a kind of a rampage. I'm going to just tell you the truth. I saw Hades take her. Uh, It's because I respect you and, you know, I love you and, you know, don't do anything to me. And then he flies off. But in that case, one of the gods was actually like, not really a god. I feel like he was more of a titan. But he's the one that comes forward and is like, you know what? Here's what happened. Uh, that's it. That's all I know, man. I'm going to go now. And, you know, because no one wants to face the wrath of her. And she's a very underappreciated god, I feel. A lot of people ignore her because she's not as vengeful as the others. And she does seem a very, like, down-to-earth. But I think like, <laughs> this is a massive show in her power where she's going to just go absolutely crazy on the earth and no one can do anything about it because no one else has control of the earth like she does or control of the harvest or the crops. And you can't really do anything when your harvest fails. Yeah, I agree. She's, she does have a lot of power um, because once she sees the ribbon or the girdle, she knows that Persephone's been kidnapped, but she still doesn't know who took her. And she's so upset that she ruins the whole world's crops, especially in Sicily, which is where Persephone got taken uh, in Ovid's myth. And she pretty much turned Sicily into a wasteland, which is really unfair because humans didn't have anything to do with Hades taking Persephone. And I'm sure Hades himself doesn't really care if a bunch of people starve. Although, I guess, you know... To our earlier point, maybe he doesn't want an influx of, uh, of, of visitors in heaven. And uh, it's possible that he's being a little overwhelmed right now with all the starvation. So He came to stop an earthquake. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe she's inadvert- She's accidentally hurting him and, and she doesn't know it. She still doesn't know who took Persephone yet. Yeah. Because Ovid likes river nymphs so much, I guess, another river nymph decides to take pity on everyone affected by Demeter's rage. And she begs Demeter to stop. She explains that it wasn't Sicily's fault that Persephone was kidnapped, so they shouldn't be punished. And this river nymph steps forward as a witness and tells Demeter that she visited the river Styx, which is in the underworld, and she's seen Persephone. So according to the nymph, Persephone is now the great and powerful queen of the underworld and is consort supreme to Hades. However, she also said that Persephone's face seemed a little sad and scared. Uh, So Demeter decides the only thing to do is to go complain to her brother Zeus about their other brother, Hades, which is pretty accurate sibling behavior, like minus all the incest and stuff. I'd like to speak to the manager of Olympus, please. (laughs) (laughs) So we have just established Demeter is a Karen. Yeah, yeah, essentially. I mean, in one case, yeah, we'll we'll give it to her. The version I was reading, it was actually... Uh, Zeus, who had arranged the marriage between the two, 
though Aphrodite didn't actually have anything to really do with it. Mm. Uh, so this part of the story takes a different turn when I was reading it, because Zeus was like, isn't it great? I just set these two up. It's such a cute couple, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it, even in this version of the story, Zeus isn't mad about what's happened. He's he's Persephone's father, so I guess maybe uh, in that case he might have the quote-unquote right to arrange a marriage for her. Boo. Um, boo. Yeah, boo. Big boo. <laughs> So, but even when Demeter like begs him to bring their daughter back from the underworld, she says, Hades is a thief. Our daughter deserves better. Zeus doesn't really get why she's so upset. And he says that Hades, like, he's not a criminal. He, he made an honest woman out of her. He married her. <laughs> and he also says that, like that me. he can't. Yeah, exactly. So he also says that him and Hades are, are more or less equals because they're both rulers. Zeus rules Olympus. Hades rules the underworld. Zeus is like the unofficial, like, leader or ruler of the gods. But he's like, I can't really do anything to him. Like, what am I supposed to do? But Demeter, like, kind of insists. She's like, you you have to help me out here. You're her dad. You're my brother. It's weird. Let's skip over that part. <laughs> brother, can't you save our daughter from her uncle, who's also our Ew. brother? <laughs> and too much to unpack there. Just leave too it. much, just... too much. We're just going to skip over that. Yeah. So Zeus is like, oh, oh, my God, fine. Like, you know, it, you're it's so annoying. It's, you're so annoying. Fine. I'll divorce them only if Persephone hasn't eaten any food in the underworld, which is like the weirdest rule ever because Persephone's been down there for a long time at this point. That gods don't have to eat. It's that they just have to drink um, ambrosia. Or nectar? There's something they have to... No, no, no. Some... Nectar is the drink. Ambrosia is the food. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so I feel like because of that, maybe those things don't count. So unless she's eating, like, actual, like, physical, like, people food or, you know, besides those two things, because I feel like she needs those to survive to some extent, maybe that's the thing. Like, oh, if she's eating, she's having a good time. This is just Zeus trying to have, like, a loophole. Like, uh, he kind of wants... Persephone to be with Hades, he really ships them. So he was just trying to <laughs> camp with something really generic. Like maybe mm-hmm. she's probably eaten. So, you know, it's like she's not eaten. We're good. But he's like, please have eaten something. I, I, this <laughs> is my this is my canon. I need it to be canon. Please let this happen. Patio season, go out, go get dinner. He's trying to appease the Karen and he he's, you know, he's gotta do something. Yeah, throw a bone. He, can't, he he can't have her keep complaining. Um, but he, he gets what he wants if, if this is what he wants. And it seems like it is what he wants, that he doesn't have to do anything. And Persephone gets to stay down there, um, because she can't be divorced. She can't be returned to her mother. She has already eaten seven pomegranate seeds from Hades' garden. A forest. <gasps> what <we're> <laughs> I know. Honestly. Scandalous. Scandalous. So a forest nymph sees her and tells everyone what she's done. So she's not able to deny it. She she has to, you know, own up to the fact that she ate the pomegranate seeds because there's a witness. And Persephone ends up turning this forest nymph into an owl as punishment. Um, because snitches don't get stitches. They get turned into birds in Greek <laughs> mythology. Being a bird isn't that bad. So, it's, you know, it's yeah, you're about, right. You're right. Crazy. I apologize for, you know, however that may have come off on my part. (laughs) This part of the myth is also meant to explain why sirens um, have bird features, because this forest nymph was also the father of uh, the sirens. So that is why Mm. in the earlier versions of Greek myth, sirens are uh, like, um, sirens look like a cross between a person and a bird. 
Uh, I want to point out a very kind of almost important one now that I'm thinking about it, important variation that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this one, it's Persephone that turns a nymph into an owl, and that's what leads to the sirens. But in the hymns, it was her mother that did it. And so she, when the nymphs came up to her and told her what happened to Persephone, that she was kidnapped while they were with her, she turns them into sirens as punishment. And I think it's interesting because it highlights the differences between Grecian Demeter and Roman Demeter. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the Romans embrace the concept of her as a mother. I mean, she's hardly ever seen without Persephone next to her. She's kind of this eternal mother figure. And it preserves the positives about her as a mother because she's the one doing the good. She's the one looking for her daughter. She hasn't done anything wrong here. And it's kind of Persephone that's the one doing like the punishing. And so it brings out another side of Persephone as well, where we see Persephone taking an active role in doing something here, where she's punishing someone because they snitched on her, air quotes. And I feel like that creates that dichotomy as well. And it makes sense that this uh, version of the story, which was written later and which is also in dedication to Demeter, would want Mm -hmm. to make her seem like more of the good guy, more of the victim. You know, it it leaves all of the all of the bad things done to Hades, to Aphrodite, to Persephone, because, you know, this story is for her. They want it to be worthy of her. They want her to be pleased by this song, by this (laughs) um, by this ode to her. Um, and this per- this pomegranate thing is really interesting. There's a there's an article from the National Agricultural Library about pomegranates that claims that pomegranates have been associated with love for a long time and is also one of the symbols of Aphrodite. And they also say that the the seediness of the pomegranate and how many like ha- just how much fruit you get from one pomegranate encourages associations with fertility. And it's it's not very insignificant that Persephone chooses to eat the pomegranate and it's a food which symbolizes quote unquote sleepovers and love. Uh, and this is a clue that what Persephone's mother perceives as imprisonment is not an imprisonment at all, but that Persephone might actually have chosen to stay with Hades. I mean, she's Jupiter's daughter, Zeus's daughter. She's a powerful deity. She doesn't ask her father for help. She doesn't attempt to escape the underworld. Uh, And her willing consumption of the pomegranate might be a symbol or an innuendo for her returning the love of Hades and consummating their marriage, which would make a lot of sense um, in regards to this rule. Because when Demeter goes to Zeus for help, he insists that Hades hasn't committed a crime, but that to appease Demeter, he can see them divorced as long as she doesn't eat. And this makes more sense if Zeus couldn't end the marriage if it had been consummated, because it's pretty common across many cultures that a marriage is only valid once it's been consummated. But until then, it's pretty easy for you to just annul it or kind of, um, you know, perform this uh, quote-unquote divorce. Uh, And maybe that's why uh, Zeus insists that what Hades has done is an act of love and he's not really concerned for Persephone. I think you're right. That makes a lot of sense. And it's really cool to see the symbol of pomegranate. However, if I was in this myth, I would have eaten a bunch of pomegranate because they are delicious. And I wouldn't have thought about the ramifications of that and be like, what? (laughs) More of these, though? uh, Okay, I'll say I just want more of this pomegranate. Like, those things are delicious. They just have dope pomegranates in the underworld. (laughs) That's how he gets them. He brings them down to his crib and he's like, listen, guys, I have pomegranates. Um, I think it's important as well. I can talk to a lot if there's food involved. I'll be like, really? (laughs) I think it's also important that you made the note between her making the willing consumption of the pomegranate Mm -hmm. seeds versus being forced to consume them. Whereas you have the willing one. I think in some of the variations of the myths, 
she does it kind of the day after Hermes comes and tells her that, you know, like, if you haven't eaten anything, you can come back to the real world. And yeah. it happens afterwards. So Sherry knows what the consequences would be. Overall, I think that it's hard to, because there's so much variation with the myths. It's hard to tell when one myth says, you know, like Hades tricked her into eating it. Some myths say that she did it in private. Some myths said that she just did it and didn't really care if anyone saw. And so it's, it's inconsistent. But the one overall thing is that she did eat it, but I think it changes it so much. And I wonder why there's so much variance in whether she did it willingly or whether she did it unwillingly. And like you said, if these poems and stories are written for um, the goddess herself, not mm-hmm. Persephone, but her mother, Demeter, then it would make sense that those stories kind of have more of a, well, he forced her or he tricked her or she didn't really know. Um, she's just young and naive and innocent. But I feel like her eating those pomegranates willingly also shows that she's maturing, she's becoming, she's kind of losing that innocence that she had when she was in the upper world where she was sheltered by her mother. And now she's kind of embracing this new life as a queen, as a woman, um, and as a ruler, and just realizing how powerful she is and how she can be. From what I understand, and Jessica, please correct me if you know I'm wrong or anything like that, but one of our primary sources on on this myth there's actually a tear right around this part. So I've heard that that's one of the reasons why there's so many like theories and why it spins off a lot at this part, because just one of our primary sources is just super unclear because it's torn. (laughs) I've heard that before as well, but I don't know if it's just a rumor. I haven't looked into it too much myself. Uh, Fox, you know anything about this? I don't, but it wouldn't surprise me because the cult that grew around Demeter and Persephone when she was up in the actual... um, real in the actual world i was gonna say real world as if the underworld is is like a fake world (laughs) but when she's in the on earth during the spring and the summer with her mother um i forget what the name of the cult was called but there's kind of like this frantic cult around them and they're just shrouded in secrecy and they don't really like they don't really listen to hearsay about like anything that could go against their two goddesses Mm -hmm. and demeter and persephone are known to this cult as the double queens or like the two queens so I feel like if anyone was going to rip something up, it would be them. I feel like they're not as crazy as Dionysus is like crazy people. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, I mean, they rip, they rip people apart. But I mean, I would buy it <laughs> if Persephone's called, you know, just rips books apart. I think one of the reasons why there might be so many variations is because, uh, as you said, uh, Fox, this story is dedicated to Demeter and people are focused on pleasing her when uh, we have to take that into account when we read so Persephone's story is incredibly focused on her purity and the way that it is corrupted by Hades when he kidnaps her and this is uh, another direct allusion to the consummation of their relationship but it also links to the tone of the story which attempts to pose Hades as having power over Persephone marrying her against her will because Demeter's concerned not only with protecting her daughter from harm but also with protecting uh, her from having her first sleepover However, uh, Ovid's tale is titled the non-consensual sleepover, quote-unquote, of Proserpina or Persephone. Uh, There's no actual non-consensual sleepover in this story. Um, The image of Persephone eating the fruit seeds might be that innuendo, and if it is, then the sleepover is consensual because Persephone eats them of her own free will, as we've been talking about. You know, I think there are a, a few myths there that you mentioned fox where hades tricks her but most of the time she eats the pomegranate seeds just because she's hungry she wants to she knows the consequences 
So the story uh, seems to be kind of biased in favor of Demeter's view that Hades is a bandit husband and that he's uh, he he should give the, their daughter back. And Ovid, I guess, might have us believe that the underworld is a place that corrupts people, but it's also possible that um, Persephone was already kind of a bad girl. She was already a little <laughs> bit corrupted. Maybe she, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe she belongs down there. Or maybe she wanted to be the bad girl. She wanted to explore her own exactly. life. She was tired of being her mom's shadow. I mean, it must yeah. get tiring sitting for all these like statues with your mom next to you. Been for real. Right, no? <laughs> oh my God. You can't God. go to your dad because he's picture. also your uncle and he's weird. And he'll turn into like a yeah. swan or a dragon and try and become your... Ew. No, let's not oh, go yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's no way to talk about Greek. Let's leave it. Like ancient Greek mythology yeah. without like stepping on one of these landmines this is actually one of the better ones <laughs> no i agree definitely since zeus can't divorce hades and persephone she's eaten the pomegranate he comes up with another solution so persephone is going to spend half the year with her mother and half the year with her husband and everyone seems happy with this arrangement they're pretty satisfied and it's meant to explain the change in season so persephone is with her mother in spring and summer when everything grows and she's with hades in fall and winter when everything dies so in this way the story's kind of got a happily ever after ending because persephone's got her bad boy husband she's got her crown and she still gets to visit her mom this is actually pretty sweet. If you think about how powerful Hades is, and he was still just completely chill with his queen, yeah. just leaving him for half the year. He's like, no, no, you take care of your mom. I still love you. I want you back home, like, once in a while. Like, that's actually for pretty real. sweet. For real. It's so cute. I bet he's still, like, he's just an introvert at heart. So he's like, I I can deal with you for six months. And I need to recharge for another six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. The, the cult I mentioned earlier was the Eleusinian Mysteries cult. And basically what happened was after this whole myth came to be, there was a lot of speculation about it, but the cult usually focuses just on the cycle of the descent, the search, and the ascent. Um, And the ascent is the part that they really focus on, the part where, you know, death is overcome and Persephone comes out of the underworld and she's with her mother again. And I think one thing to note is that this is a myth to explain the changing of the seasons. And one of the big parts of it is that everything dies for the winter, and then during the spring, it all kind of comes back. So it's almost like a human, not a human, because Persephone is not a human, but it's kind of like the triumph of life over death, that no matter how many times you would kill something, or take it, or, you know, hide it, there's always going to be a search for it, there's always going to be someone who brings it back, and then it's going to ascend. And in the human world, that means that there's life again on the human world. And so as more of like, because I know a lot of creation myths seek to explain why the world came to be. Um, There are a lot of myths that try and explain why things are. And I think this is a really good example of the seasons myth because it's clear, it's concise, and it follows the cycle of life and death really well. Mm -hmm. Definitely reminds me of Wally, you know, got to find that life (laughs) on Earth. (laughs) Wally is just another imagining of this story. (laughs) Yes, Wally is the Persephone myth. Uh, So to summarize, the story of Persephone is unusual because it doesn't follow the expected pattern of one of these kidnapping tales. So many male gods kidnap young women and young goddesses, and this is something that happens over and over in Metamorphosis as well. But typically, this relationship doesn't last very long before the god moves on to another woman. And it could be argued that this is maybe because Venus commanded that, uh, or Aphrodite commanded that Cupid should shoot uh, his arrows into the heart of Hades and compel him to fall in love with Persephone. However, even Cupid's arrow doesn't last this long for other gods. 
So Apollo himself was shot with an arrow to compel him to pursue the nymph Daphne, but after she's turned into a tree, he doesn't devote himself forever to her. So unlike other gods, Hades keeps Persephone in the underworld not as his mistress, but as his queen, and the love spell lasts far longer than it's supposed to, which maybe gives the impression that it's not so um, dependent on this spell at all, his love for Persephone. Hades is our unproblematic king. He is. He gives her a position of power over his realm that is equal to Hera's rule over heaven, and he remains devoted to Persephone, whereas Zeus has multiple intimate relationships with other women after his marriage to Hera. There are little to no myths about Hades having sleepovers with anyone besides Persephone. So their actions and Persephone's position seems to imply that this marriage might actually be, surprisingly, based on loyalty and equality. Though she is an innocent child of spring, Hades somehow believes that she is a suitable ruler of the underworld, leading readers to possibly believe that Persephone is better equipped for this job than she is presented to be. Um, Maybe she belongs in this world. Curiously, his myth ends very ambiguously. So although it is said throughout the story that Persephone is sad or unhappy, with her new marriage, Ovid says, uh, curiously, once she returns, her heart is so light and her face is so happy. However, he doesn't specify when she is happy and to where she is returning, intentionally causing us to guess as to whether Persephone is happy to return to her mother or happy to return to her husband. Uh, So we really don't know, but we get a lot of clues in this story that maybe Persephone and Hades are just meant to be. I just wanted to ask, because I don't think it was mentioned earlier. Obviously, Aphrodite shot, or Cupid shot um, Hades in the heart, so he fell in love. But he had to, like, go out of his way to find Persephone. Was it, like, the first woman he saw that was the one he fell in love with? Or was it specifically Persephone? And, like, how did that pairing actually end up happening? Do we know? Yes. So it's actually, they actually wanted him to fall in love with Persephone specifically. They chose her for him. I think they wanted to, um, they wanted to uh, make as much drama as possible. And they knew that it would happen Uh, if they, if they took Demeter's daughter. They hit the nail on the head on that one, for sure. Oh, yeah. They did their job well. (laughs) So given what we've just read and what we've just talked about, do you guys think that Persephone is happy in the underworld? Or do you think that she doesn't like it and it's just forced? What are kind of your thoughts on that? It's hard to say because we are meant to believe that the underworld is this sad, scary, terrifying place and Hades is this awful guy. So it might be hard for some people to believe that Persephone could ever be happy there. However, we get a lot of clues that Persephone is happy to be there. She wants to be there. She wants to stay there. And that she will enough to stay with her mother if she wanted to. So personally, I, I believe that and based on the way that Hades treats her, I, I believe that she's she's pretty happy there. She doesn't mind it there. Yeah. At least for half the year. And I think you know, when you have an overbearing mother like that, who whose whole identity is about being a mother of Earth and stuff, uh, and you're just the token character next to her, I mean, I would want to break out of that. And obviously, being kidnapped is not cool. It's never cool. Yeah. But... If you're going to be kidnapped by a guy who gives you pomegranates, which are delicious, that we already established, <laughs> and he's a dog person, we know that. He's got Cerberus. <laughs> and he's like a ruler of the underworld where everyone's going to end up anyways. Like, mm-hmm. you could do a lot worse, is all I'm saying. 
Right. You could. You could end up with Zeus. Like we've established before, there's little to no myths of him, like, ever cheating on her. Right. And I think other myths also depict her being very protective of him as well, which I think is adorable. Mm-hmm. I think that our view of Hades or or the Western world's view of Hades is colored by the fact that we've tried to find a way to attach our own Christian mythology onto this Greek mythology. Because in Christian Mm -hmm. mythology, we can kind of align the underworld with hell and Hades with the devil. And we can kind of align Zeus with God and Olympus with heaven. It's a very, uh, if you want to make that uh, comparison, it works very well in theory. However, uh, Hades keeps all people in his underworld, not just the the quote-unquote bad people or the quote-unquote sinners, right? He's got all the heroes down there, Elysium, uh, the best of the best and the worst of the worst. He looks over all people. It's really an inconsistent metaphor. You can't apply that comparison so cleanly. And I think the gods are just so different as well. I mean, with the Greek gods and the Roman gods and all of like kind of like more of these pagan gods, they aren't meant to be good or bad gods. They just are. Right. And so you see them just doing all these crazy things and they're not supposed to have some morality attached to them. They're not supposed to have just one thing attached to them. So yes, we do simplify and we call, you know, Aphrodite the goddess of love, but that's not all she is. That's just one side of her. And so I think when we try to make one-on-one relations with gods and goddesses, even across any cultures, it doesn't really pan out because the function of the gods are so different. And Hades specifically in Grecian mythology, he's not supposed to be this big bad. He's more of a neutral god. He's supposed to be a natural part of the human cycle. Um, Persephone and Demeter represent life and they represent spring and summer. And then Hades more so represents the winter and just the natural conclusion at the end of a life. And I feel like mortals understand that. People understand that at the end of this journey, it's you're going to die. And it's just a natural process. It's not something that you avoid. It's not something that to be scared of. It's just there. Um, and so I feel like his role in the myths is just that he's the ruler. He's not even the god of death. He's just there to watch over. And so I feel like his role is so neutral that, and he's so unproblematic. He doesn't do anything that I feel like associate him with, you know, the, the devil imagery, the imagery of hell. Right. It, it makes him so problematic. And he's not. Hades and Persephone are two sides of the same coin, life and death. They're the same. And our the symbolism that we've absorbed in our culture kind of uh, compels us to um, cast this negative shadow on him. When you're right, it's not supposed to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. I also just want to throw in, like, he kidnapped Persephone. We've established that's bad. Okay? Don't go kidnapping people, all right? <laughs> Travelers, we were not advocating for that. But... Did it just the one time. And if we look at pretty much any other god, like, kidnapping and, you know, having unconsensual sleepovers are just a rampant thing. And we just gloss over all of that. Like, of all the reasons Fox stated earlier, we've decided Hades is the one who's going to burn at the stake for this one act. It's unfair. I know. In some versions of it, I mean, he is part of the plan to kidnap her with Zeus and Gaia. So it's it's not like in all of the variations, he's like this unproblematic king. But I like this one the most because I like YA books and I like the, you know, the tall, dark, handsome character who's not good for you. Of so. course. <laughs> so that's where my... Well, our description of him was kind of like a, a dad who's just like got the khaki shorts going, yep. I gotta fix the roof. The <laughs> you know what? We're we're here for that as well. He's the ruler of the that. underworld. 
See, I'd go into the underworld if I was Persephone. I'd be like, all right, so Taldar handsome. And he's like, actually, I'm just starting to like build a deck. Yeah. I think it's so unfair that like Zeus kidnaps every single person alive. Everyone. He just kidnaps everyone. Non-consensual sleepovers up the wazoo. But like Hades does it one time and he's the bad guy and Zeus is still like super cool and awesome. It's not fair. There's a huge double standard. You know what? I feel like Hera's onto something when she went after Hercules. She was like, I'm tired of these. I'm over it. There's so many like just heroes that are my like my half children, I guess, my stepchildren. Mm. I can't deal with it. And also imagine just mm. like hearing that your husband turned himself into a fly or into a cow or into a swan or into like a shower of light or literally anything else that Zeus does and being like, ah, yeah, I mean, Hades is a bad guy. Not my husband. Right. He's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Persephone is literally the product of an affair that Zeus had. So it's not really like with his with his sister. So I don't really think that he has a leg to stand on trying to call out Hades, which which he doesn't do, to be fair. But like, you know, the there there's such an inconsistency with how they're represented based on, uh, I guess, our, our our view of who should be the good guy and who should be the bad guy. Thank you. Jessica, so much for coming. I don't know about Fox, but I've absolutely loved the story of Hades and Persephone. I have had so much fun in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes, we'll have to have you back sometime real soon. Uh, So thank you again so much, Jessica. But right now, we have to find our way out of this forest, but hopefully not to anywhere uh, near the underworld. We're going to stay away from there. Speak for yourself. Oh, yeah. Okay. I find myself a husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go find some pomegranates. <laughs> We're going to make our way out of this chant forest, make our way maybe to the underworld, see if uh, Hades got any friends or brothers, <laughs> maybe pet Cerberus. <laughs> oh, I don't want his brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that one through. I'm like, oh, no, not those guys. <laughs> right. Uh, we're yeah, we're gonna we're gonna head on out. <laughs> Thank you, travelers, for listening. We were having so much fun today. We didn't get a chance to get to our five fantastic finds, but do not worry. We'll be coming out with those right next week when we'll be releasing a special bonus episode of our five fantastic finds on Hades and Persephone because we have a lot of thoughts on how the story was brought up in modern media and so forth. If you want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be, come join us anytime on Twitter at From Enchanted or Instagram at Tales from Enchant Forest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at Tales from Enchant Forest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions, so if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. Thank you so much, travelers. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Mm-hmm.